see you again, folks. Let me add my welcome to Ian's. If you're first time with us here today, especially warm welcome to you. Uh, we'd love to help you connect to the church, so please make the most of those information cards. Uh, today, we're going to have uh, a time just to look at our vision as a church. We have a vision. We're going somewhere. Uh, we've, we've had a strong sense of vision since we started the church 13 years ago in Edinburgh, and we really feel that we've, we've come to a certain point where instead of saying, all right, we've arrived now, we're actually saying, all right, now we can start now. We feel like we've got the beginning stages in place, and uh, we are really excited about all that God has for us in the season ahead. So we're going to be talking about where we're heading. We're going to celebrate where we've come to. We're going to talk about some of the things that have been going on in the last few months and celebrating. We're also going to be talking about where we're heading, what God we believe has for us uh, in the season ahead. So let's pray. Father, I ask you today, God, as we take time to really look at some important things, God, that we feel that you have led us to, vision that you've given us, a dream that you've given us in our heart for this city and beyond. God, I just ask that you would speak to us all, that you would fuel faith in our hearts, that you would inspire us, that you captivate our hearts, and that you would literally mobilize this army of people to action in the great things that you have got for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, statistically, you shouldn't ride in cars because 20% of all fatal accidents happen in cars. 17% of all fatal accidents happen in the house, so don't stay at home. Don't walk on streets or pavements because 14% of all fatal accidents happen there. Do not travel by air, rail, or water because 16% of all fatal accidents happen there. However, only 0.01% of all fatal accidents happen in church worship services. So you've got to be at church and be very much part of what God is doing. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about uh, our vision, and I'm going, to, I'm going to do it in three parts. The first part, I'm going to base, hang everything around verses in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to introduce to you about us being united from Romans chapter 12, and then I'm going to talk practically about how we're what things we're going to be doing in this city, and I'm going to get a few things happening on the screen and get someone else up to join me for that. And then at the end, I'm going to be going back to those verses and just looking at how individually it applies to us. So let's read the verses, Romans 12, verse 1, and then verses 4 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a spiritual worship. All right, skipping ahead to verse four. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. <clears throat> these are great verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to just extract some stuff about, from these verses about what it means to be united and on a mission, just to start with. It's, what is the church? The Bible here defines it for us. Never once in the Bible is the definition of church a building. Now, if you were to go into the street and ask anyone passing by, what's the church? They would say, oh, it's a building. And that gives us a, a problem because we've got a cinema. <laughs> and in Leith, we've got a cinema. Um, but so, so does that mean we're not a church because we haven't got church buildings? But never once in the Bible is there any definition that relates church to a building, physically building. When the Bible refers to the church, here's one of the pictures it gives us, and it is the body of Christ. Romans 12, verse 5. We, though many, are one body in Christ. The body of Christ. It describes, it's, I guess, at two different levels. The body of Christ is described on a huge level, universally. You know, all across this world today, there are 2.1 billion people who claim to be followers of Jesus and those who are authentically followers of Jesus, they form part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ. 
If you're a believer in Christ, and I don't mean kind of you've been born into Christianity or you've been christened as a kid. I'm talking about you've really connected with God. He's changed your life. Then you are part of this thing the Bible calls the church, the body of Christ. It's all over the world. In fact, it's not just all over the world. It spans not only geography, it also spans time. According to the Bible, the the church is is also in heaven as on earth. Because when you come to know God, you're an eternal person. This life is just the beginning, part one. You know, eternity is huge. And in heaven today, there are millions and millions of people who are very much part of the church, which we're a part of. And it not only spans geography, it spans time. And that's good. And it's a wonderful concept. But sadly, in our culture, many people have taken that concept of church, and that's the only concept of church they hold to. They say, oh, I'm a Christian. Um, And great, what church do you go to? oh no, I don't go to church. I'm part of the universal body of Christ. (laughs) Right? And And it sounds all spiritual and it's actually accurate. But the Bible knows nothing of the universal unless it's got a local expression. They're not separate in the Bible. They're totally one and the same. The universal body of Christ, sure, but also there's a local expression of that. And in many cities, there's Dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of local, local expressions of that. And that's biblical. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Peter wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. You, you see, there's, there's churches and churches in lo- localities and in regions. That's biblical. And so to say, you're, I'm part of the universal church, but you're not actually plugged in anywhere. It's a cop-out. Because you have a part to play in a locality with others that God is wanting to put you in relationship with. You know, some people say, oh, I love God, I just hate the church. That'd be like, that'd be like you saying to your wife, husbands, honey, I love your head, but don't like your body. <laughs> Wouldn't go down too well, right? The body of Christ, his church, is not only universal, it's local, and you've got to be plugged in locally. How do you be part of the church? Well, as it says in the verse, we though many are one body in Christ. In Christ. How do you become part of this church, universally or locally? Well, it's to do with your relationship to Christ. You could replace in for in relationship with. We are one body in relationship with Christ. So just as you saw William and Kate get married uh, a few days ago, I hope you all had invitations to be there. Um, you see that Kate, when she married William, all of a sudden became part of a bigger family. You know, mother-in-law, kind of scary. (laughs) Uh, And and others, right? Uh, She instantly connected with a family because of her relationship with a person. And this is exactly the same. When you become in Christ, you're connecting not just with Jesus, you're connecting with others in the body. Let me just throw this out. Have you connected with Jesus. And I don't just mean, do you believe he's out there? Do you believe there was an historic figure called Jesus? We believe that historic figure called Jesus died for you personally on a cross as your substitute. He rose again in the third day. He's alive now. And you can actually know him. And the, the question is, do you know him? Have you committed your life to him? It would be the best thing you could ever do. In relationship with him. A.W. Tozer put it this way. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tunes to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are in one accord by being tunes, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Next question I want to ask is, how deeply do you appreciate the body of Christ? Just take a moment, look around you. Look at the people around you. Look at their faces. Ask yourself, do you know them? Look, Look behind you. Look all around you. Think of the different types of people here. Think of the different experiences. Some people are smiling, but they're hurting in the inside. Some people are going through challenges. Some people have got very, very different backgrounds to you and different life experiences to you. Look around you. Think, who are these people? 
question is, do you value this? See, when you become a Christian, you're not just part of a crowd on a Sunday. You become part of a family. In the Western culture, which emphasizes individualisticness, self, this is very counter what the Bible says. You see, what the Bible emphasizes is this, that God places you in a body. See, in the Western world would say, I'm looking around with Peter, and nice people, I'm not against them, but you know, I, I've, ultimately, I've, I'm not responsible for them, Peter. Well, that's different to what Jesus says. Jesus in John 13, at the last judgment, which we'll all stand, he says in John 13, 34, 35, sorry, Matthew 25, 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers or sister of mine, you did for me. So look around you. See all these brothers and sisters around you. Whatever you did for these brothers and sisters around you that you're looking at just now, you did it to Jesus Christ. You actually worshipped Jesus by loving his body. That's powerful. Equally, if you hurt the body, you're hurting Jesus. Remember Saul, when he was, before he was a Christian, he used to be a persecutor of the church. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes very personally the way you respond to each other. So you're totally, you've got a very narrow view of church if all you see is, oh, I chose Destiny Church because it's got cool music and we go along and it's a nice cinema building and we get coffee for free afterwards. All right? That's the only reason you're here. You've totally missed what it's about because Jesus calls us his body and at the end of time, we're going to be judged based on how we've connected with that body. Did you love each other? Did you love each other? Jesus gave us a commandment. Uh, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Edinburgh will know you're the real deal by your love for one another. The fact is, those around you look around you, some of them will offend you, some of them hurt you. Okay, well, that's okay, that's going to happen. Don't jump ship on the church. Don't blame God. Don't quit on the relationship. Work hard to resolve the issues. It's inevitable you get a bunch of folk like you in this room together, there's going to be some conflicts. I'm surprised there are not more homicides in the church, (laughs) to be honest. Jesus commands us, love one another. So let me ask the question, what is the destiny of the church? I'm just going to quickly get out of Romans now, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, where we find this remarkable verse that says, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The the Bible here describes the church as the fullness of him, Jesus, who fills all in all. So we understand 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, if you were a sick person living in Galilee, where would you go for your healing? You'd go and find... Jesus, if you were looking for direction in life and you were totally lost and you needed a prophetic utterance over your life so you knew this is where God wants me to go in life, you'd go find, right, if you had demonic problems and you were suffering and being totally tormented and you heard that Jesus was passing by, you'd go find, I'll give you a clue for that one, okay, the point is your needs, spiritually or materially or emotionally, were met in that one person, Jesus Christ, and he never turned anyone away. Now, the problem is today, Jesus ain't walking the streets of Gorgie. The Bible says he died on the cross and rose again, and he ascended to the Father, and he's the king of kings in heaven, ruling and reigning. But the Bible teaches that we are his body, the fullness of him. What does it mean, the fullness of him? It means that we're his arms and feet, It means that through us, he loves our city. It means that through us, he impacts our communities. It means that through us, he touches the world. That's so exciting. This is God's plan. We are his body. You see all the facets of Jesus' ministry, healing? Well, I I would hope 
that if someone was sick and came to folks in this church, you'd pray for them. And you'd keep praying until miracles happened. I'd hope that we've got enough spiritual gumption among us if someone came and said, I don't know what God says, you go pray and get a verse for them or hear God for them. That we would be a spiritual people and all the facets of Christ's ministry that you saw in Jesus embodied in him as a person are now embodied in us as a people. And not just us, but all the other awesome congregations that meet in this city that name his name. That's exciting. Gerald Coates phoned me last week. I was had a chat with him and he was talking about he was on a TV documentary um, with Joan Bakewell. And on that, it was a kind of documentary into faith. And Roy Hattersley was one of the other guests on the program with Gerald Coates. <clears throat> and Roy Hattersley was, and Gerald were talking about, and Roy Hattersley's a politician, yeah, but he's also an atheist. And as an atheist, he, you know, he, he was, he's very different in his perspective from Gerald Coates. But he said to Gerald, talking about the impact of Hurricane Katrina, and seeing how the churches were mobilized and cared for the people on the back of the impact of Hurricane Katrina. He said to Gerald Coates, and I quote, Christianity it is undoubtedly the case that Christianity produces a better quality of person than atheism does. And it's true. Where's God when there's a disaster? God's right there, expressing his love through his people bring his healing through his people, feeding the poor through his people. Where's God when I'm suffering? God is in his people wanting to love you. We are the body of Christ. This is our commission. So, to what extent will this expand and how will this work? You know, if we're his body and we impact someone's life, who gets the glory for that? If you go and feed a poor person, or heal a sick person. Who gets the glory for that? It says in Matthew 5, verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So when we love people, who gets the glory? God does. When we heal a sick person, who gets the glory? God does. When we are the body of Christ, doing the works of Christ among the people, among the city, God gets the glory. Now, I have to make this point really importantly. The glory of God is not just something that's a byproduct from, as a secondary thing to the main activities, you know? It's not that God's a second goal. You know, we, God, we need you because we want to help the poor, and our goal is to help the poor, but we need God to help us. Or, God, we need you because we want the church to grow, and our goal is to grow the church, but we can't do it without God. God is no second goal. God is the goal. The glory of God is what we do it for. And as we pursue the glory of God in our city, we grow. And as we pursue the glory of God, of course we're going to love the poor, and God will get glory through that. And this, this is where in the West we've so often got it wrong. God becomes a means to another end. Whether the end be money, I want money. I will serve God to get money. Or I'll want God in my life so I can get that relationship. Or I want God in my life because I want peace. Or I want God in my life because I want to get to heaven. That God becomes a secondary goal to a bigger goal. And you have to understand anything that's a bigger goal than God is an idol. As a church, we're about God. And as we pursue God, he prospers us. He heals people. He provides relationships. He grows the church. We help the poor. Great things happen. But he's our goal. That's what it's all about. Him. And uh, as the body of Christ, we're here to honor and glory him. To what extent will this happen? Listen to the verse. His body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. I, have, I don't believe God has any small vision for the church. I believe God's intention for the church of Jesus Christ is that it will be the most dominant, influential thing on planet earth prior to the return of Jesus. And I can base it on that verse, but in dozens and dozens of other verses that have impacted my life and thrilled my soul for years. God painted a different picture in my heart than what I was seeing around me in the cities. I was seeing churches in the decline. But when I'm reading the Bible, I'm seeing a God who wants to get the glory on earth through his people, the church. The church's future is huge, huge. And we have a part to play in that. Okay, so let's bring it right into Edinburgh here. 
I'm going to take some time to share with you some of the things that we are perceiving God is saying to us and I want to celebrate some of the things that we've been seeing amongst us. So our plans for Edinburgh. First of all, I'm going to talk about reaching out. We have, as a church, we've, we've actually been pretty strong at being an attractional type of church. You know, we do pretty cool leaflets. We put on pretty strong events. We work hard at raising the bar so that when people come to our services, their experience isn't, oh, that was shabby, but rather that was done really well. Because we figure if God's great, he deserves to be presented great. So we have no problem with that. So we've been an attractional type of church and we'll continue to be that. But one of the things we feel that we're trying to swing the pendulum on is not, not that we dump being attractional, but I want to reemphasize something else that I think is much more biblical and actually something that will impact our city far greater. And it's this, that every single one of you becomes missional. You become a missionary. So it's not, and, and you can bring your friends to church and they'll hear the gospel, but you can't just be people who, who are inviters. You've got to be people who are sharers. You've got to be people who can share the message of this good news with your friends and family. <clears throat> Last week, I went up to the Highlands uh, because uh, Kate Brooke Simpson, who knows Kate? Quite a few. Know, who knows Kate? Quite a few of you. Awesome lass. Member of a church, lives in the Highlands, comes to church once a month. <laughs> anyway, she and her husband Andy have been married 10 years and they've been unable to have children and uh, physically unable. Uh, it would require a miracle for them to have kids. But Kate, being a believer, now Andy hasn't been a believer up until recently, but Kate, being a believer, has been praying and trusting God for kids. Last year at Diamond's conference, God spoke to her very clearly in saying, I'm now going to give you a child. Within a few weeks, she was pregnant, and she just gave birth to a son. Now, on top of that, about a month or two ago, they thought, Andy and her thought, it's going to be a girl. Uh, but she had a dream, very clear dream in, uh, in the middle of the night, and God gave her the name of, of her son, uh, Jacob Zachary Simpson. And so she woke up and said, he's a boy. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's awesome. It's wonderful. And, and it was, it was, there was a few complications, but he's okay now and he's doing good. But Andy hasn't been a believer. And he hasn't been a believer for years and years and years. This is Kate's husband. And he hasn't been a believer because when he was younger, his younger son at birth died. At which point, he shut the door to God completely. He turned against God and wanted nothing to do with God. Now, Kate has been married to him for years, and in those years, she's been an amazing Christian. She's not only told him about God, but she's known when to stop and not nag him. And she's lived the Christian faith, and she's walked this faith out in front of him. Anyway, when I went up to see them, I went with a walk with Andy through the hospital corridors, and he's saying, Peter, I just want to let you know that I have, just in the last couple of days, turns back to God. I cannot deny God any longer. I need him in my life. I'm his. He made that in his tears in his eyes. And he's made this rededication to God. Why? Because a wife was missional. And didn't just preach and nag at him, but lived it out and demonstrated it. Said, you want to see what it looks like to be a Christian? Let me show you. Let me show you the love of God as well as tell you about it. Church, we need to be missional. In line with that, we're, we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of uh, June, we're moving from the Sermon on the Mount. We'll finish the Sermon on the Mount, and we're starting a new series on the parables of Jesus. And that's going to be running from June to, this, to end of November, just before Christmas. Then we'll start a new series in January. So we're really excited about that. But the parables of Jesus, we're going to be tackling lots of things. But the first thing we're going to tackle is going to be looking at what it means to be missional. And I'm going to be focusing in on equipping us all to be people who are effective and missional in our witness. And then we're going to be tackling lots of things like the end of the world and the return of Jesus and all the great themes that the parables throw out. It's going to be exciting. So that's, that's coming up. And also just the report as well. In the last four months in Edinburgh, we've seen 46 baptisms and 119 decisions for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, God. Yay. 
46 baptisms, 119 decisions. That's 40% of the decisions are baptisms. So that's, that's, a, that's a pretty healthy proportion, and we're excited about that. Also, one of the big things that God has put strongly on our agenda is working among teenagers. Here's a clip uh, from the youth team uh, where Ian and his fellow workers present to you some of the things that happened during our Easter outreach and also share with you the vision for the season ahead. Cue clip. Destiny Youth, it's more than just a cool club or playing the right music. It's more than wearing the right clothes or even saying the right thing. Destiny Youth is about seeing young people meet God where they're at. What we're doing is we're creating an airport. We're creating an environment where young people can come in, where they can be inspired and excited, a place where they can be trained and equipped so that we can send them out into the awesome life that God's got for each one of them. God's got an amazing plan for each young person. And I really do believe that as we build the airport strong, as we stand together as a church and as we invest in the future of young people, that we're going to see the biggest harvest we've ever seen. Recently we've seen just uh, a steady uh, increase of guys coming in on a Friday night. Um, started off really small when we first started, but then it's just steadily increased. What's exciting most about what God's doing is that these young people are coming into a place where it's a church, we're building relationships with them, and God's really using kind of just what he's taught me. And to impart to them, we've seen lots of young people give their lives to Jesus. Um, and that's been consistent for the last few weeks that kids have been giving their lives to Jesus and genuine decisions to follow Christ. The most exciting thing about wildlife is seeing uh, young people come to know God and become equipped to be uh, missionaries uh, in their lives. Wow, I really have been blown away over the last few weeks. You know, as a church, we've been investing, we've been getting the resources, we've been building the team, we've been really plugging things into our youth work to see it grow and to see it develop. And over the last couple of weeks, we've really seen God at his super to our natural. And as a result, we've seen young people getting saved every week. We've seen Bibles in their hands and we're really seeing them start to step out into their destiny. A few weeks ago, I uh, had been in conversation with one of the young ladies that goes to shine about um, the fall and the cross and salvation and who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives and uh, we'd been messaging each other back and forward and uh, I got a message back at some point in the afternoon saying, okay, I get it all now, how do I let him in? There's been uh, some of the young girls who come along uh, have uh, again, they've just been responding uh, to the message there uh, and really for the first time just starting to understand God's love in a way that they hadn't understood it before. It's been incredible. Over the past few months, God's been giving us various prophecies about things exploding, about the doors being opened and loads of young people coming through. That really has started to happen right now. My dream for the future is to see the young people that I'm pastoring and discipling at the moment um, being free from what holds them back in their lives and them leading and pastoring and discipling other young people. The ultimate dream is that they become Christians and that they totally find their calling in God, that they find who they are in God, that they find their purpose. I want to see a generation meet God. I want to see young people find their destiny and get plugged into the local church. I want them to find their purpose. I want to see this generation changed. You know, Jesus said to ask for more workers and not to pray for revival. And salvation is now. We need the workers to bring the harvest in. We want to see what we're doing become stronger. We want to see expansion into Leith and beyond all around Edinburgh. We want to see young people from across the city impacted with the gospel. I really do believe that the Church of Jesus Christ is going to change the world and that God wants to do it in this generation. Let's just pause for a moment and think, what if? Wow. Let's hear it for the youth team. Woo. Woo. So it might not be your calling to be involved with that, but you can all be praying for that. This is our outreach. This is one of our arms that are touching one aspect of society. We want that to grow to the point where we're able to launch that in Leith as well. It's so important. Such a huge impact needed in both these centers. Also, one of the things we've been active, very active in as a church is working among the, some of the poorest and the neediest in our city. And uh, I'm going to invite Jude up just now. Let's hear it for Jude. Yay! Woo! 
And uh, Jude's heads up all our social action initiatives. And she's going to give you a bit more detail about some of the things that we've been doing and some of the change of emphasis that we're bringing. Go for it, Jude. Hi. As Pete said, I've got the great privilege and blessing of overseeing the social action in the church. So we do Destiny Angels, which is a community helpline. We've got a wonderful team of volunteers that go out into this city, providing practical support, decorating, befriending, handing out food parcels to some of the most vulnerable people in this city. We've also got homeless ministry teams, Destiny Street Impact and Destiny Street Impact Care Team, that go out onto the streets and serve men and women that are caught up in cycles of addiction, homelessness, Again, some of the most vulnerable, needy people in our city, but also some of the most precious people as well. And they do a great job. And God this year, when we sought God for our vision for this year, it was slightly different to previous years, where previous years we've been going, right, we're going to do this as well, and this, and this, and this. God simply said to us, go deeper. And he didn't mean by that, stop, stop growing, stop getting better. But he's like, just go deeper where you're at, really plant your roots down. Get deeper as well, uh, by working together better as a team. Go deeper in depending on me for change in people's lives. Go deeper in sharing the gospel. Go deeper in your love for one another as a team, so as teams were functioning as families. And go deeper in the way that you serve, so that we're really serving with excellence and developing the services that we've already got. So for Destiny Street Caravan Team, that means developing a Saturday sort of drop-in centre, bridging that gap between the streets and the church, making that journey easier for people to take. Claire and the team are currently praying for a building that they can use in the city centre. For Dustin Street Impact Street team, that's developing an advocacy service. We're not just going out on the streets and meeting them there, but we're also walking through life with them, going to appointments with them. Again, bridging that gap between streets and the church so that it's easier for people to come in, come in here and just hear more of the amazing news of how God loves them. For angels, it just means being more proactive, getting more food into that food store, getting more food out to people that need it, cutting down waiting times for decorating. And the team do such a fabulous job. We get so many positive feedbacks from organizations in this city, from people that are being positively impacted by having love shown to them in practical and real ways and also having the good news shared with them as well. And I am so grateful for the teams that we have and the generosity of the church that we have that we can do what we do. And there's been a, many times this year that I've just had to thank God <laughs> from the bottom of my heart for what we do. Because without what we do, there'd be some incredibly needy, vulnerable people going without. A few weeks back, Anne Williams and I stood in the food store room behind this stage because there's about, and we prayed for provision. There was about four tins of baked beans, which isn't enough for a food parcel. Um, and we prayed for provision. Um, within... I think, yeah, within the following week, we had one massive donation from someone in the church, and then we had another massive anonymous donation from Asda, well, through somebody else in the church. And the next day after that Asda delivery came in, we had a request for a lady who had not received any money since August 2010. So she'd been without money for about six months. This woman had survived by getting handouts from a 90-year-old friend every so often, And the words the organization used that called us, they said she's been borrowing cornflakes from her next-door neighbor. So this woman had been living on cornflakes for weeks, (laughs) completely in a place of desperation. But because of the generosity of this church, we're able to stock up a massive food parcel for her, have a church leaflet in there, a father's love letter in there, and send that out to her just to let her know that she is valued and she is of worth. In the same week, someone from this church, just being obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, went to visit a neighbor of theirs, just feeling, I need to go and check if they're okay, and found that this family wasn't doing so well. Uh, um, The family's from Libya. Dad's a student, and so getting financial support from home. But because of the recent conflicts, financial support had been cut off. So there was a mother, a father, and I think three kids. Again, no food. Um, So again, because of the generosity of you guys, we were able to get out there and give them a food parcel. So thank you. And God also spoke to us when he spoke about getting deeper. He also spoke about us going deeper into his love. That as teams of volunteers, we won't just be giving out and giving out, but that we'll be so aware, as it talks about in Ephesians 3, about the depth and the breadth and the height of his love, that we will be so blessed functioning the callings that we're in, 
that out of the overpour of that, we'll just be able to love and serve these guys that so desperately need the love of God. And secondly, I just want to follow on from that, is that our vision for social action in this year isn't just for social action out there, but also for social action in here. Um, the New Testament talks again and again and again about the need to look after the needs of people in the church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the, of the household of the faith. And we have plenty of opportunities to do good in our household. It's the responsibility and also the pleasure for all of us to be able to be a blessing to somebody else. In Acts 4, it talks about how the, what the early church looked like. I think there'll be a verse coming up behind me. But it says, With great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the res- resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and what was distributed to each as any had need. And as Pete got you to look around the church um, building this morning, there are, we are a church like the early church. We are made up of different backgrounds, different experiences, different struggles, different bank balances, all sorts of different things going on. And so there is so much opportunity to be a blessing to one another. But what's clear from these passages from Acts 4 is that this wasn't a coerced thing. This wasn't top down. This wasn't saying you should be doing this. This is what good little Christians do. But it was a result of the preaching that they were here about the resurrection of Jesus and that great grace was on them. So just like the vision for the social action teams are that they will be so aware of how loved and valued and precious they are is that my prayer for you is that you'll be so aware of how loved and precious and valuable you are to God and that his grace is on you and that you are so aware of what he's done through Jesus. That keeping an eye out for somebody else's need in this church and in this family will become a natural outflowing from being loved yourself. So what might this look like? Well, basically it looks like functioning like family. It means keeping your eyes open, taking responsibility, not ignoring need. It might mean taking someone out for a cup of coffee. It might mean praying for them, giving them a hug. It might mean giving them a financial gift. It might mean putting food in their hands or providing a hot meal. It might mean doing their ironing, taking care of the kids. It might mean a whole range of things. But keep your eyes open and be ready to love. And it might mean that some of you can't meet that need that you see. So get in touch Talk to your home group leader if it's somebody in your home group. Talk to one of the pastoral team or get in touch with Destiny Angels. We're also here for the church. We give out food parcels to people in the church as well as out. So get in touch. You can also give to the food store. You can also give to the hardship fund. There's plenty of opportunities to do good. And I'm really aware as I talk about vision for doing social action inside the church that so many of you are doing it already. I am so blessed, like frequently blessed, encouraged and challenged and inspired by people in this church that regardless of what's going on in their lives, they just give and love to others. That people that are caring for relatives 24-7 still take time to make a phone call to encourage a brother or sister or take time to meet up with them and have dinner with them. And I see people week in, week out, quietly putting food in that food store bin knowing that it's going to go and bless not just people in this city, but also people in this church. So thank you for that. If you believe that stuff, say one big amen. Amen. A bit louder, please. That, folks, is on-the-ground Christianity. That is so important. If, If our belief in a resurrected Jesus doesn't result in that stuff then we haven't really got it, have we? It's got to change the way we are with each other. Look around you. You are the body of Christ. Every person in this room is so precious in the sight of God and must become precious in your sight. Uh, Jude's also heading up a team of people going to Los Angeles. This is the team. Uh, in, in, this is our dream team heading out uh, to Los Angeles Dream Center uh, this autumn. So awesome bunch of people. They're going out. The Dream Center in Los Angeles does what a lot of the things that Jude is doing here, but on a scale that you wouldn't believe, they're impacting some of the poorest of the poor over there. And it's our, it's our desires as, as a church that we're not just impacting locally, but also internationally. 
part of what we do internationally is also so we can learn. I mean, folk, these folks who are going across to the Los Angeles Dream Center, they're going to be so impacted by what they see. They're going to come back in visions, and it's just going to cause an acceleration to some of the things that Jude's involved with. Also, um, just so you know, next year, 2012, we've got another team of people, or hopefully sending two teams of people out to Johannesburg to refurbish an orphanage daycare center there, like we did earlier this year. If you want to be part of that team that's going out, you need to get your applications in this month, say this month. Wow, that's soon, isn't it? Yeah, it is soon. But we need to prepare well in advance so the team is ready so we can hit the ground running over there. So Richard Simcock and Stephanie are are heading up that team. Uh, If you want more information, go to the information point. Okay, let's talk about some of the things we're doing in-house. Structuring the church. Strengthening the church. One of the things we're going to be starting is a thing called team time. Um, Which means on the first week of every month, there will not be home groups. Uh, But instead, we'll have on the Wednesday night a thing called team time. Now, as you know, we've got home groups in the church, but we've also got teams in the church, serving teams. And team time will be an opportunity for team leaders to get time with their teams, to input into their teams, to strengthen their teams, to encourage their teams. Um, That will happen for an hour, seven o'clock till eight o'clock on the Wednesday evening. From quarter past eight to half past nine, we will have encounter, our prayer gathering. So that won't happen on Friday nights anymore. That'll happen on a Wednesday night. And that week, there will be no home group. So what I'd encourage you to do uh, is as many of you, or as all of you as possible, as all of you as possible, <laughs> as all of you as possible could be there. <laughs> and let's pray. So that team time is going to happen in Gorgie and Leith simultaneously. There'll be different teams in different locations. And then from quarter past eight till half past nine, there will be a prayer event in both centers. And so no home group that week uh, so that everyone can prioritize that prayer event. And just so you know what's going to happen is in one place it'll be prayer and worship and the other place it'll be worship and prayer. <laughs> yes, so different. One, one place will be the emphasis will be on prayer. So 80% of the time will be prayer, 20% of the time will be worship. And then the other location 80% of the time will be worship and, be, and experiencing the Holy Spirit and being prayed for and hearing the Holy Spirit speak and moving in the gifts of the Spirit, that kind of thing. And we will alternate those from campus to campus month, every alternate month. Uh, and that's, this, I believe, is going to bring so much health. The, the benefit of what we're doing is this, that some of you are in a home group and in a team, and some weeks encounters on as well. So you've got a home group you go to, and then you've got something on with your team that you need to attend, and oh, there's encounter, and you're three things in the week. Well, we're trying to simplify the program for your sake, but also we're trying to prioritize prayer and worship so that the, this midweek, once a month event, instead of home groups, everyone will be there instead, and so we can gather collectively and call on God for our city, for the other churches in our city, and for the world. Really important. That's team time. Another change, a couple of changes, just little things. Um, Jill, Jill, are you here today? Jill, catering Jill. She's in Germany. She's in Germany. Anything to not be drawn attention to, eh? <laughs> what country could I go to so they won't mention me? Jill, has, you, can, you can give her a huge thanks and give her tons of presents when she gets back. Uh, Jill has been amazingly heading up the catering team for the last year at Destiny College. She's initiated things like uh, Sunday in the City and different things like that. So she's done an amazing job. But uh, Hamish, Hibbert, Hamish, are you here today? (laughs) Yeah, right. No, he is. He probably is. Yeah, his wife's from Manibia. Okay. So he's in Manibia. How do you say it again? Manibia. That place. He's in that place. (laughs) Uh, He's there, and he's taking on the catering team, and he's going to be on two days a week on staff running that because catering has become such a big deal on so many of our events so you can wish him well on that adventure as well also uh, it's with sadness but also with excitement for this dear person's life that we are wishing Ashley Williamson so much so much joy as she moves on from being a staff member where's Ashley I heard your voice earlier where's she there's Ashley right there let's hear for Ashley she has been Yay! 
Ashley has been a, she was our third member of staff back in 2004, 2005, and she came on and she's been running a lot of the administration uh, based down in Leith, and now she's moving on because she feels God's got other things for her, uh, but she's going to be sorely missed, and she's been such an utter blessing, and if you've been around the church for a while, you'll know this. What she has done is incredible. We honor you, Ashley. God is with you, and God honors you as well. Your reward is eternal. Uh, and next season's exciting as well for you. Also, just to update you on some of the things we're doing with home groups. We mentioned at the last time we had a vision setting that we were putting in place cluster leaders. Um, what's the, every home group, there's about 34 home groups around the city, and we want to support the home group leaders who are providing support for our people. Most of the pastoral care in the church takes place through home groups. That's why it's really important if you're part of the church that you don't just come into the crowd on Sunday, but you're part of a home group as well. So the home group leaders get mentored, and up till now, it's been Graham predominantly supporting the home group leaders. So let's, let's see this, this kind of little diagram here. Uh, this is autumn uh, 2010. This circle represents all the home groups, the 34 home groups. The big blue three-quarter section is Graham looking after 75% of the home groups. The next section uh, was Mark Wright looking after the student home groups, and the last section was Anne Williams looking after a couple of mums' home groups. Um, we announced that we're putting in place cluster leaders, so there'll be key leaders looking after groupings of home groups, so that every home group leader's got is maybe in a group of maybe five others or six others being looked after by a senior leader to provide them with mentoring and support. So as of now, this is how it's looking. So that, that, since announcing that change, this is how it's looking now. Graham's looking after half the home group leaders. Woo! Uh, and we've now divvied up other home groups into the hands of many key leaders who are doing an outstanding job and will continue to do an outstanding job of mentoring. Our hope is that this, as we implement in a strategy, that by the early stages of next year, this is how it'll look, and we've, we've got most of these segments identified as key leaders who we want to put in place to look after the home groups, but we feel this is going to add so much strength and richness to, to the church. Now, in line with that, some of these cluster leaders will become elders. Just now there's been three elders in the church, myself, Graham, and Owen, with our wives very much alongside us in that role. Uh, our, what we're currently doing is I'm meeting with a team of others, with Andrew Owen's help as well, uh, to mentor the next wave of elders that we want to put in place as a church. You imagine if I had a tabletop and I poured sand in it, you get to the point where the tabletop can only hold so much sand. It goes like that, and then that's as much sand as it can take. Any more grains of sand go on it, they drop off the edge, right? So what do you do? Well, you expand the tabletop. That's what you do. Then all of a sudden, you can not only double the amount of sand, you can multiply the amount of sand. The tabletop represents the leadership of a church and its ability to care for the people that God sends their way. So we, we really feel God is calling us to implement a next wave of elders, who won't obviously be as good as the current elders, <laughs> but the next wave of elders who are quality people that we're raising up to be strong in the Bible, strong in their heart for people, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you in the loop of that journey as that emerges. And we plan to put elders in place, new elders in place, to come alongside the existing elders at, at our September conference, and that's the Journey Conference. This is a date for your diary, Friday the 2nd of September. That's going to be our big conference through in Glasgow, and on that particular night, we're hoping, this is a, the conference is running from Wednesday night through to Saturday, and it's designed for leaders and key workers. But on the Friday night, we're asking every single one of you, and I'll be saying the same in all the other services, to come along on the Friday night. We want to have an event in Glasgow. Casey Treat will be preaching, Andrew Owen will be preaching, there'll be lots of things happening, elders will be put in place, and we want to have an event that we've never done before. It'll be an event where every person from all our churches will be there. So folks are flying across from Germany and Dublin, traveling up from England, from the Highlands. Uh, a lot of our key leaders from India are also coming across. So this will be a gathering like no other gathering we've had before. We're going to hire a very large venue through in Glasgow. It can accommodate everyone. And can I encourage you, please put that date in your diary, plan to be there, and we're going to be having bus loads of people going through. So we're going to put buses in place for that. So very exciting. And really exciting locally that we're going to have a strengthening in the church with a broader eldership in place. So that's locally. But also at that conference, 
we're going to be implementing a new strategy which takes us from the local to the global. And this is something that I personally feel called to and stirred with. We started this church, me and Angie, 13 years ago here in Edinburgh. I understand what it's like to start a church with two people and Jesus. I understand the pressures and the challenges that that brings and the, the excitement as well, but also the, the challenge of that. And I also know that starting churches is the key way on planet earth that God's kingdom advances and that we impact eternity. So I've always had a burden and a passion for church planters. So I, I, I spend quite a lot of my, my months talking to church planters on the phone, mentoring them, traveling to see them, helping them in midweek events. That's what I, and that's what I want my future to be like. I want to support people who are doing this stuff specifically with the local church. But one of the things that's been in my heart is this, how do we train church planters? I didn't have any training, me and, me and Angie didn't. I mean, you would never guess. Uh, we just made it up as we went along. We just didn't tell anyone. And, but how do we actually train people so when they hit the ground on a mission situation that they can really impact? And I'm not just talking Scotland, I'm talking about in Saudi Arabia and in Afghanistan and, and uh, Nairobi and, and you know, all over the world. I believe God wants us in Edinburgh to plant churches and to be a catalyst for churches to be planted. So the Journey Conference, we're going to start a thing which is going to be church planting training. And I've come up with this course. It's four modules running over two years for people who are called to church plant. The first module will run in Glasgow at the Journey Conference. There'll be three other modules which will most likely run here in Edinburgh. And this will be for people who have got a sense of calling. Already there's about four couples in Edinburgh who are feeling a sense of calling in the future at some point to start a church. So we look forward to announcing as those things come online, when we sense this is the now time from God. And we would like not, not just send couples out, but we'd like to send 30 people out with 200,000 pounds to start a church in Asia. And to send 50 people out uh, to start a church in London with 50,000 pounds or whatever we can raise. Well, how about we just impact our worlds with this gospel and start churches? That's where my dream is. And I also want to be, a, so we're part of an apostolic movement. We're part of something bigger than local. And this can be part of our part in impacting the world. And it'll also be that not only will have church planters in-house being trained up to be sent out, there'll be church planters from all the other Destiny churches who are feeling a call. And also churches out who are not called Destiny. I've got many friends who I support who are nothing to do with Destiny Church, but who are starting churches or are at the early stages of a church. I believe in that, no matter what it's called. This is not about empire building. Remember we said earlier, it's about glorifying God. That's the goal and the agenda and everything we do. So we're starting the church planting modules. Here's what the, the modules are. Number one, module one, missionology. We'll talk about the Great Commission and the gospel. Cultural relevance, how to start a church. Module two, church planting leadership skills. Making disciples, preaching, teaching, communication skills, how to put a church program in place and financial structures. Module three, practicalities of running a church. Ephesians four, ministries, setting in elders and deacons, church membership. Module four, the life of a church planter, strong marriages and kids. You know, a church planter, their marriage would be strong, their kids would be strong. Their personal finances, their emotional and mental well-being are strong. How do you manage your time as a church planter? How do you take ground through prayer? How do you protect yourself in spiritual warfare? Some really important key things I believe church planters need that we're going to be implementing. Four modules, running for three days at a time, every six months over a two-year period. That's the plan. Amen? Yes. Two people in the front are excited about this one, and me, and I think Jesus is as well, so I think we're okay. Let me end with this. Your part in God's plan. At the beginning we said we see the church as being united because we are in Christ. But also we see the church as diverse. We see unity and diversity. Let's go back to Romans. Romans 12, 5 and 6. We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We see two words. Individually differ. While we're called to be united, we are not called to be clones. We're not all going to be the same. 
We're going to be different. And that's of God. We're individuals. We've got different uniquenesses and different talents and callings. And God wants us to shine in those things. Then Paul goes on and gives us a list of different ways you can play your part. Verses 6 and 8. 6 to 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now this is not an exhaustive list. There are many other things the Bible could have listed here. But here we see some key things. The call of God in your life to be a teacher. The call of God in your life to care for the needy, showing acts of mercy. The call of God in, on your life to be a financier of the church. Some people are called to be that. Everyone's called to contribute, but some people are specifically called to be financiers of the local church to advance the great mission. God is calling some people to be servants in the church, to get alongside others and serve people. It takes an army, it takes a team of people, and God has called every one of us to play their part. Your gift will be different to the person sitting next to you's gift. But the question is, what is your contribution? What part has God put you in this church to play? Everyone has a part to play. I remember growing up in a church in Glasgow, the church that I grew up in there, there was one lady there who was from a very poor family, and she didn't have uh, any kind of preaching skills or leadership skills. She was a very quiet woman. Um, But you know, every Sunday, she brought with her between five and 25 kids from her area, from her housing scheme. She brought them to church with her. They got on the local bus. They all got off the bus. They came in a little convoy. They walked into the church. Most of the Sunday school in that church was because that woman brought between five and 25 kids with her every week. She served. What part can you play? What motivates us to serve? This is where it takes us right back to the beginning of the chapter. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters. In view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here we see serving is sacrificial. It's offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That's a tall order. The Bible's asking a lot of us here. It's saying, give yourself to a bigger purpose. We also see here, serving is worship. Worship isn't just the songs we sing or the emotions we have in that moment, but worship is the things we do, the way we live, the way we connect with each other, the way we connect with our city. That's worship, as well as our singing. But here we see also that what motivates us to serve is God's mercy. We serve. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We serve and we love in response to the mercy that God the Creator has shown us. That's why we do it. That's why we do what we do. Bill Hybels put it very well when he said, I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand, a hand that had never dirtied by serving, and shake the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. God has done so much for us. How could we not, as an act of worship back to him, give ourselves to serve? Now let me make it very clear. You don't serve to get God's mercy. That's religion. Religion says you do things to get God to like you. What we're saying is that God loved us no matter what. And he died in our place even when we didn't deserve it. And in response to that, we say, I accept that and I give my life to you. We serve because he gave everything for us. Way back during the construction phase of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco Harbor, in the early stages of the construction, 23 men fell off the the bridge that they were constructing and fell to their deaths. Halfway through the construction periods, the people responsible for the construction decided this wasn't acceptable. (laughs) Just like in today's world, yeah. 23 deaths later, oh yeah, what about some health and safety, yeah. Three people laugh, that's great. 
you're doing great today, guys. You have your coffee this morning, church? <laughs> uh, so what they did was they put a safety net underneath the, the bridge that we're constructing. Interestingly, in the second half of the construction period, only 10 people fell. And every one of them was safe because they landed in this net. But not only that, furthermore, 25% more work was achieved in that time. Efficiency went up. You see, if you are serving God because you want God to accept you and love you because, God, look what I'm doing for you. Would you accept me? That's religious nonsense. That's not the gospel. But if when you realize, Jesus Christ, you died on the cross, you rose again, and I believe in you, and that ensures for me, that undergirds my life, I have the biggest safety now. I am eternally safe because of you, Jesus. Do you know what it does? It frees you up from every other secondary motive. And now you're serving. Do you know why you serve? Because I get to. Because he did that for me. So how could I not live for him? And all of a sudden, your serving becomes a lot more effective. Because you're not doing it out of legalistic reasons. You're doing it out of love for God. Paul says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I want to say the same. Church, I urge you, people who are in this room and doing nothing, I urge you because of God's mercy, do something with your life. Plug into the church. Live the dream that God's got for you. Go for it. Those who are serving, I urge you, keep going for it. Keep the motive pure. The motive is him. Thank you for all your serving. Thank you for all you're doing. We have such a great God that we're serving. It's all to him that we're doing it for. And I believe we will, for the glory of God, but also for the benefit of thousands, if not millions of people, we can leave a legacy. We can make a difference. We live once, folks. May as well make it count, right? Let's pray. Okay, just take a moment just to reflect and to respond to the things you've heard. God, we see the day we're living in. We see the need around us. We see thousands of people around us every day who are going to a lost eternity. And we can't settle with that, God. We also see thousands around us who are not just spiritually needy, but also those who are physically needy. And we see we have a responsibility before God to meet the need. Also in our church, God, there's hundreds of people here who need, who need support, who need love, who need family. I pray we wouldn't be a typical Western mentality people who focus in on selfish things and self and my little family and my kingdom. But we'd be bigger than that, God. We'd be united and yet we'd be diverse. We would commit ourselves to loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ that our Christianity wouldn't just be theoretical, but it'd be real, that it would tangibly touch people's lives. And that out of the overflow of that God, it would impact the world around us. God, we also sense your calling to be a catalyst for starting churches around the world. Because the need has never been greater. God, we, we, we commit our plans to you. We commit these things that we actually think have come from you in the first place. We commit them back to you. And we're asking you, God, would you enable us to be that kind of people and to accomplish those kind of things? In Jesus' name we pray, Father. And we give ourselves just now, God. In view of God's mercy, we give ourselves afresh to that mission for those who once served passionately but have backed off I pray they would again hear your calling right now to get moving again for those who've had wrong motives in serving Lord and wrong motives in giving 
thinking that they can earn God's favor, I pray that they would get a far bigger, more exciting motive. The mercy of God. And God, for those who are serving, I just pray you'd encourage them. I pray you'd bless them so richly. God, I pray that they would see eternal reward and they would be so blessed knowing I was part of what God was doing in my generation. I'm just going to give you an opportunity today. If you're here and you're not in relationship with Christ, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. You've never become his follower. That I'm going to give you an opportunity just now to make that decision. Eternity hangs on this decision. He died in your place so that you wouldn't go to hell, that you could go to heaven instead. But it's up to you to whether you accept that or not. And he's alive right now. And he alone deserves to be first in your life. So if you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want to commit myself to being a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to give you an opportunity just, just this now as we close, just to pray and to make that commitment. If that's you, pray this prayer after me, just quietly under your breath. Repeat this after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your amazing love for me. Thank you that you love me so much. You sent your son. Jesus, you were willing to die in my place and rise again the third day. Today, I fully accept you. And I ask you for a new star. And I ask you for forgiveness for my sins. And I commit myself to following you for the rest of my life. Thank you, you're alive right now. Jesus, be the Lord of my life from this day forward. I commit my life to you. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, I believe God heard you. I'd love the privilege of praying for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, just while everyone else is praying, could you just identify yourself just by raising your hand really quickly? If you prayed that prayer and you made that commitment today, just pop your hand up so I can see it then pop it down again. And then in a moment, I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? I pray okay dear God thank you so much for this precious precious person thanking your presence she's made this commitment she said yes to you she's accepted you Jesus as our saviour and she's committed her life to following you I pray right now such joy would fill her soul she would know the acceptance of the father and this would be the beginning of a new life for her in Jesus name let's stand we're going to worship my friend who prayed that prayer good decision before you go I'm going to get one of the prayer team just to say hi to you again okay let's let's worship God